You're listening to Marketing News Canada, Canada's number one show featuring the brightest minds in marketing, PR, and digital advertising. Hi there. Welcome to a special episode of Marketing News Canada. This is the second time that we are able to syndicate the POCAM visible and vocal study uh, update. Uh, This is the second year it's happened. Uh, If you are not aware, you might have even taken part in this survey uh, to begin with, but the visible and vocal study is the first ever to exclusively focus on the profile, perspectives, issues, and experiences of Black, Indigenous, and people of color in the Canadian advertising and marketing industry. Uh, This study is important, uh, so we want to make sure that you get the chance to hear the report's findings uh, in this podcast. Uh, as well, uh, there's a link to the actual report in the show notes. Uh, so uh, without further ado, here is the uh, second annual POCAM visible and vocal study uh, for all of us to learn from and to take some time to think about. Our three pillars and how this comes to life is to simply educate, advocate, and elevate. We want to be able to teach and talk to our industry about the contributions of our community, to tell the story, and to tell the story in our own voice and tell the story within the context of the the broader industry, to advocate, to be that trusted industry voice of BIPOC professionals. If it's coming from POCAM, we are on that journey for people to continue to trust and believe in us to say, this is our voice, this is true. And that's a journey that we are every day looking to continue to earn that trust and keep that trust of the BIPOC professionals within our industry and in the broader industry to continue to showcase that we have a finger on the pulse of what BIPOC professionals in our community are saying, and they should heed those words. Elevate, to be a platform for BIPOC professionals in the network to not only showcase what their impact is, but also to come close together. Many of us through this journey and the creation of POCAM have consistently said the same thing. Why haven't we met each other sooner? Why have we not been connected? I felt like I've been the only one. And I think that this whole opportunity in the creation of POCAM has provided a platform for many of us to join together and help one another as we, as had uh, initially said, want to continue to give back and stay and be a proponent and a force of positivity in the Canadian marketing and advertising industry. I tip my cap and say hello to all of my POCAM family. Uh, Thank you for the support. Thank you for getting us to where we are here today. Uh, We are all doing this, as they would say, off the side of our desks. We all have full-time jobs. We are all looking to make a mark in our careers with our families but we found time to say this is important to lay the foundation for many of us who are coming up behind us and those who are still within the advertising industry and those who are looking to stay within it. So thank you to all the POCAM members here. Um, They uh, they are here uh, on the call, but proud to say there's 1,500 of us within our own LinkedIn member group. So it's grown. Last year at this time we presented visible and vocal, there was just under 800. Now, less than a year later, over 1,500 members within our close group. And I'm proud to say we have over 1,450 who are following us on our public LinkedIn page. More to come at the end on how you can contact and be supporters of POCAM. 
So with that, we'll move into the presentation. And here are today's presenters. Myself, Julian, you'll hear from me throughout the presentation. You'll also hear from Chino Nadi, who Chino is a recruiting executive within the industry who's gonna provide some fantastic insights on what will be presented by our data scientists and quite frankly, one of the main engines in driving visible and vocal, Shasan Gracie. We're thrilled and honored to be a part of this team to share with you today. And I will hand it over to Shasan to take us through the findings. Thank you. Great, thanks, Julian. So for everybody on the call, I'm Shasan Gracie. As Julian said, the lead data scientist on this. I also work in advertising as a strategist. So I'm happy to be able to present these updated results that we got compared to when we did this the first time and lots of interesting things to talk about. So after that, we can just sort of, yeah, we can get into the background of the study a little bit. So just basic methodology and any questions that come up after, feel free to reach out to us. It was fielded between November of last year and we had some people sort of sprinkling in early this year. We had 259 completes in total. The survey was completely online. The average length of time to complete it was eight minutes. In order to qualify, you had to be a Canadian resident, belong to a race ethnic classification exclusive of white Caucasian, and work within advertising marketing context, either at an agency itself or on the client side. The incident rate, which is basically just telling you the amount of people who qualified for the survey was 54%. So for example, we had some people from the United States trying to take it, so they were disqualified. While the language was just in English, it was open also for people in Quebec. We followed basically typical standard MRI co codes of conduct for doing market research. Anytime we talk about significance testing, it's at a 95% confidence level and normal data cleaning and validation just to make sure that we didn't have any sort of junk responses. And we can move to the next slide, yes. And to consider, after this webinar, you'll get a link to the report and we definitely wanna make sure that everybody uses the report to whatever you, know, you think is necessary for your organization to push things forward. So let's start with the lay of the land. And the first thing that really struck us looking at the data is for BIPOC who work in creative industries, there is a heavy level of pessimism when it comes to race relations in Canada. So for our folks in the study, only 10% of them think that race relations are good in Canada. And we contrasted this with some other data that was out there looking at white Canadians, regardless of industry. And 65% of them think that race relations are good. So you see a very big divide between the two. For anybody who was part of Visible and Vocal last year, we talked a little bit about the fact that in order to get into the industry as BIPOC, you had to really be 200% in terms of your education, in terms of your socioeconomic status. So there's probably a part of that playing in here where people basically were like, well, we did everything society said we were supposed to do. And then we enter into this industry and we're still being discriminated against. So I think there's pessimism within the industry itself. There's also just pessimism of society overall, which we'll get to. And last year, you'll remember that we actually presented data on views of, do you believe anti-Black discrimination, anti-Indigenous, anti-Asian discrimination exist? So what you're seeing in the smaller 2020 is where things were then. There's no statistical difference. Basically, everything has stayed the same. Where feelings about 
anti-Black, anti-Indigenous, anti-Asian discrimination remain the same. So even with all the things in 2020 and the Black squares and everybody doing everything else, there is still a general feeling that, yeah, for basically anybody who works in this industry, discrimination exists. And one of the reasons for that has to do with workplace stress. And we divided up the sample in a few places to look at those who work at white predominant agencies and those who work at BIPOC predominant agencies. And what we found is for those who work at white predominant agencies who are BIPOC, 59% of them have said, yeah, I have workplace stress. While if you work at an agency or on a client side that is BIPOC majority, BIPOC led, the numbers were quite less. So there definitely is a different inexperience when it comes to stress at work if you're working in a white predominant context versus a BIPOC dominant or at least BIPOC led context. And I think it's really important for us to understand that discrimination, it's visceral and it's hurtful. It's not just sort of checking a box. Is there discrimination? Yes or no, and it's just something factual. It has a deeper impact on people. And what we did as part of this survey is we asked a lot of open-ended questions where they made sense. And we did dive in a little bit here. So one participant said, while they have hired BIPOC employees, they mostly hire them in admin and support roles when what we really need is greater representation in leadership and C-suite. Having more BIPOC faces is meaningless when we can't steer the conversation in any way. I've been denied promotions on basis of perceived gaps while watching my white male counterparts get promoted for the same things while having larger gaps in training than I have even on paper. And the focus is to look like you're committed to BIPOC, but to, do, but to still do things pretty much the same. We will do the basics and then pat ourselves on the back, but it's only to make us look good. And this is just a general sentiment that we found in the open ends. So Shazan, thank you so much for <clears throat> just talking to the first portion. I think we'll have a, a, a little bit of a discussion now on what we're hearing. And I wanted to bring in uh, Chino uh, as well on this. And the commentary that we saw in the open ends, but also what we were hearing um, you know, in the data about how discrimination, there's a feeling that still exists. Is there any you know, commentary on how you have seen in the last year how mainstream agencies have approached diversity, equity, and inclusion? Uh, and is there a perspective from what you're hearing uh, on how that has happened or how it's progressed? Absolutely. I think the big thing here is that there's a lot of performative action that happened within agencies. Um, a lot of people did training, a lot of people brought in a consultant on, and then that was it. They wrote a little kind of PR stunt about it, and that's as far as it ever went to. I think the biggest thing that you know agencies and, and clients should be doing is hiring somebody internally for that DEI work. Um, or a long-term consultant. Um, you know, when we look at ERGs that have been formed that are specific to um, BIPOC um, initiatives, 
a lot of that is BIPOC-led. And so what tends to happen is naturally um, the BIPOC are taking on more of these works where the white counterpart are actually working on things that are winning awards, um, you know, have more of that visibility, something that you can put on your resume as a career booster, where, you know, others are, you know, funneled into this ERG where they're, that's their focus. Um, and again, we're not looking at the trauma that's also involved too. And so employees are, you know, in a way forcing their BIPOC to, to be a part of this work. Um, and unfortunately that also leads to the trauma which leads to a lot of that workplace stress as you, as Jason has kind of shared. So um, the biggest thing to do is hiring somebody for DEI and A um, and a long-term consultant. No, thanks for that. You know, and um, would totally agree. I think one of the things that you know I'll bring Shashan in on this too is, you know, the the workplace stress. It really, you know, through the pandemic, it hasn't changed. Uh, maybe if anything, it's it's been increased. You know, working from home and just um, also dealing with with life in general. But you know, we're hearing from our um, you know participants in the study, and just as a reminder, everybody again, this is uh, the. BIPOC-led, BIPOC, 100% uh, BIPOC respondents. So, you know, these are people within our community, within your office who are, are saying this. You know, the element of stress, is there a sense that there's probably even more um, if you're a BIPOC professional within the industry, uh, even with what everyone's gone through over the last couple of years? Yeah, absolutely, 100%. And especially if you are in an agency that is white predominant. And I basically gets to what we've been talking about, right? Because you are now not only dealing with all of the general traumas, but then you've also gotten a second job now on top of that. And I, and think I want to build on, sorry, uh, you know, to build on that too. And I think this is probably where we're all going. It's not like the, the workload had been spread across more of us. It's been concentrated, you know, as we've all gone through what is appropriately a awakening and a reckoning and knowing that we need to make those changes but it seems to in some of the respondents are saying it's concentrated more on us as opposed to being spread out so i'll, I'll allow you to hop into you and i think too what's important to kind of mitigate that is as an employer as an agency or a client thinking about especially when racially traumatic events happen how are you supporting your team from a mental health perspective are you giving them the space that they need um, and a space that isn't necessarily hr mandated so it's really important to to be providing that yeah, absolutely i have a lot to say about that but i know we've got a lot to cover and it kind of will come up again later in the presentation so um, I'll start to talk about the good because I definitely don't want anybody to walk away from this conversation just thinking that everything's hopeless. Definitely not the case. So what's good? Well, what we found out is in 2021, 42% of the companies that, for the people that were in the survey, said, you know what, they installed unconscious bias training. That's great. 54% of those people said that companies instituted some DE&I policies that went beyond just unconscious bias training. So this is a really good stat. Obviously there were certain companies that did it before 2021. So there was no way it was ever gonna be 100%. But the good news is you've got four out of 10 in 2021 saying unconscious bias training, 
we, we, we put it into place. It's something that's going to continue. And then we've got 54% saying all of these broader equity and inclusion policies, we're putting it into place to help us when we're hiring, when it comes to help to retaining people, to help them be promoted and so forth. And onward and upward, what we mean by this is what we were just talking about. A lot of this has been pushed by the BIPOC who actually are working in the industry. They're the ones saying things have to change. We need to think beyond, as Gina was saying, like the performance, we need to change systems. And that's a whole nother conversation when it comes to agency life. But what I thought was really interesting is that 50% of BIPOC in our industry are saying they're even more active in the pursuit of free workplace that, you know, a workplace free of bias, a workplace free of discrimination, a workplace free of microaggressions in the past 12 months. And we weren't sure what we were going to get here because 2020 was hard. 2021 was also hard. And we expected that there would be some level of fatigue. And sure, there are people who are fatigued, not everybody. That's why 50% said they're more active. But we thought that was a healthy number that half of our people are saying, you know what, we're even more active than we were in 2020. And this all plays into our next chapter, which talks about representation and systemic change and why it's important and why it matters. One thing that we found is that there's much more comfort in an organization that has significant amount of BIPOC at the table. So 89% of those people in the survey who work at BIPOC majority organizations, they believe, you know what, my employer is making positive steps to focus on inclusion and advancement. And some of those early things that we talked about for those people who are at white predominant agencies, this is definitely not the case. So definitely, I think it's important for everybody listening that there is a comfort when people are at a place where they see people like themselves and they also see systems in place that allow them to excel. And when we looked at this data for those who actually work at white predominant agencies, an interesting fact came on. And it was the fact that it's about being on guard at work. And 89% of BIPOC who work at white predominant agencies feel like they need to be on guard or guard against discrimination, microaggressions, all those sort of things. Um, that's just an incredible number. Think about that. That's nine out of 10 every BIPOC working in our industry. And again, we wanted to get a little bit more richness to the data. We didn't just want to present you with quantitative facts. So just to give you a little bit more idea of what people are thinking behind the reason why they're agreeing with those statements. Racism is not an issue in the small agency I work at. It has been more apparent in larger organizations I have worked at. They've established a diverse network of suppliers continue to push the needle on programming aimed to elevate BIPOC voices, create their own black targeted content using a mix of ABC related creatives while serving as a corridor for new Canadians to find their footing in the industry. Majority owned and led by BIPOC, call for equity signatory, long record of initiatives to boost BIPOC. So these are the quotes coming from those people who are working at those organizations that are BIPOC led. And without a doubt, you see a, such a difference in the positive emotion of those open-ended responses compared to people who are not at BIPOC led or BIPOC majority agencies or client side. 
Thank you, Shasan. And bring it back to a quick discussion on some of the findings because I think it's really interesting in some of the quotes I've provided, but also the perspective on how uh, each individual is feeling, whether they're in a white predominant agency or not. Um, and want to kind of have a discussion with Chino a little bit about with you being executive recruiter, Chino, you know, how are you seeing BIPOC professionals uh, in their own transparency about job offers and job opportunities in predominantly white working environments or working environments in general? Are they more or less willing to accept, um, you know, uh, uh, roles if the workplace culture is something that does not fit uh, them and just want to kind of your, get your insights on what you are seeing and hearing um, in correlation to the study? Absolutely. And thanks for that, Julian. So um, Hired also came out with another study about some of the top recruitment attraction trends. And the top of that was DEI, right? If you're not doing something that has DEI, an initiative or a programming, you are not going to be attracting the top talent. I think what the biggest takeaway from I hope um, the visible and vocal study is that representation matters. We've heard that time and time again. Um, and it's extremely important, not just in to that earlier quote about just being in admin roles, but at that executive and C-suite level. Um, you know, as an executive recruiter myself and someone who works on a recruitment strategy, you know, the number one ask in the last two years is how can we bring representation to our leadership team? And it's really easy to say, oh, you know, there's not that, you know, there's not representation here. It's really hard to find those people. And I think we need to look at why that is in the systems in place. So the first myth to dispel is yes, we are here. Pokem is a great example of that there's 1,500 of us. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. 
Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Um, within the marketing and advertising space. So that's one. But two, when we get into these you know, roles, what are you doing as an agency to provide that mentorship? How are you giving that growth and development opportunities to the earlier point on you know, not getting the same training or, you know, not being perceived as the same. And again, working on an ERG where you're doing two jobs at once and you're not actually working on really the cool shit, to be honest with you, um, you know, that's important. And I think when you bring BIPOC in is what is the development strategies that you're providing for those folks. And I think allowing people, but again, it's not always HR mandated because, you know, that can also be a problem. So organic, communities that you're you're bringing to them um which is it's a really huge thing so yeah thank you Gina. it's amazing i, I want to bring shasan in on, on this a little bit as well because one of the things i think we could all um you know relate to and many of us on the call could relate to is we get into positions whether it's uh management level maybe um positions of power if we're lucky enough um and we find out that we are likely the only one right and so with that, you know, this opportunity for more of us at the admin and lower level that are coming into the industry, you know, why is it, do you think that there isn't um, more of us at uh, account, account management level, maybe director level, and then, you know, I know ideally at the C-suite level, there's only so many people can take those roles, but, you know, just a commentary on, you know, the reality of many of our uh, participants saying, I'm here, but now I'm just by myself. Or, you know, heaven forbid, there should be six of us in this in this uh, agency. You know, and then compare that to those who are in BIPOC majority agencies. Kind of that that you know culture and community that they feel. Um, so, just just your thoughts on that, Shasan, and as to why. So, just so everybody knows, we didn't practice these questions, and I have a straight up answer to that. I'm going to just call it out: laziness. Um, I feel that there is such an amount of laziness across agencies and on client side. So here's the example I usually give to people. There was so much discrimination against BIPOC. If you think about agency life, if you read about it at all in the eighties, the nineties, the early aughts, where there were people who were qualified, but they even had less of a chance to get into an agency, or if they got into the agency, they basically stayed at that bottom level. So what happened? These people had to go get jobs. They had to work, make money. So they got jobs, whether it's in fashion, whether they were working in media, they worked themselves up to SVPs, VPs, whatever it might be. They did what they needed to do. And then when they were ready to go back into agency life, they were then told, well, you didn't exactly follow the trajectory of somebody who can become a creative director or an account lead, even though these are the same people who said, yeah, we discriminated against them and we forced them to go that way. So to me, that is really the big issue. And until that is corrected, I think it's gonna be hard for us to see people at those higher levels. Obviously there are exceptions. So like if I'm a director, for example, but you know, many people that I know basically were at junior and at mid-level and then they felt like there was a barrier and then they left. And, and to that point, going back to the importance of mentorship, that's exactly it. It's we want to break that cycle and the systemic injustices and, and you know, 
problems within diversity, right? Um, having that mentorship at that level will allow people to grow to become leaders. So it's a hiring leaders um, that are there now, but looking to your junior teams, I say that with quotes, um, because often people are bringing a lot more to the table, but being sidetracked and developing them, right? What are, who are our leaders in the future? And um, without that mentorship and without that training, you're gonna have the same cycle, the same systemic racism that continues to happen. And, you know, in two years, we're gonna come back uh, visible and vocal part four. And, you know, the same question will be, where are all the leaders? Well, you kick them out. You didn't give them a, a, a proper opportunity to grow. So we don't want to do that. So these are really important things that every agency and client need to really consider. Yeah, and I'm just going to add one other thing quickly on top of that. In the first Visible and Vocal, we had talked a little bit more about mentorship and sponsorship. And one of the examples I had given was when I was at FCB New York, I had somebody where she was able to mentor me in terms of technical skills and help me grow. But she also sponsored me like understanding how the system worked and what I needed to do and how to navigate it. And that was so important. So I just want to tell people in terms of my personal experience, I'm not sure if I would be at a director level today if I didn't have that sponsor who took it the next level. And we know from the survey data that very few BIPOC feel like they have that person in these organizations. And I think too, what's so great, what Shasan said is kind of understanding the difference between a sponsor, which is somebody who's there to help push you through um, in, in a role or is maybe not even in that organization, a mentor who can be someone outside of your organization that's helping from a larger career perspective, but an advocate is one of the biggest things that as an agency and a client, and again, going back to the mentorship piece um, within a role, is having an advocate for you at that leadership level that's saying, hey, you know what? Julian's doing a really good job at this. I don't know if you've noticed this. Maybe we should put them on this project. So it comes down to the leaders and the managers and the C-suite to make sure on your team leads, they are advocate for your people that are BIPOC because they can do the best work in the role, but if they have no one looking at it, it becomes a problem and the cycle continues. That's great commentary, uh, Shasan, you know, um, and before Shasan jumps, jumps into the um, rest of the presentation, I think what, um, for many of us who were invisible vocal one and two, the data and the numbers still remain the same. Um, and the, the commentary from uh, folks in our industry who are BIPOC are saying the same things. And I think what we've tried to do today is kind of provide a little bit more of a, not necessarily just the what, but the why and a bit, how do we try and get there? Great. So this chapter, chapter four, if you were part of Visible and Vocal One, is there were two specific questions that came up and we're like, hey, can you guys do a little bit more follow-up on this the next year? And that's what we're gonna take you through right now. To start, we were asked, well, what about the East Asian experience when it comes to discrimination, when it comes to microaggression? So we have that data available this time. And for somebody who's East Asian, who's working in the same category we're talking about. So either at an agency or client side in a marketing role, 86% said, yeah, I've experienced the microaggression at work. 62% said they've experienced racial discrimination at work. Now, compared to the data that we had in 2020, this is a bit higher, but what we don't think has happened is the fact that all of a sudden there's been more discrimination against people who are East Asian um, over the past year, it's more of a recognition um, 
of the fact that, you know what, I maybe didn't think about this before, but then obviously 2020 happened. And as that went on, and as we saw many things happen across this country, across the world against people who are Asian, and we're gonna share a video in a little bit. I think it became clear to a lot of people in our industry, they kind of thought about it again. They were like, yeah, you know, that promotion I should have gotten, or the questions that they asked me in an interview, there start to be a rethink on it. It's like, yeah, wow, you know, just like, you know, people who are black are talking about it or South Asian or indigenous. Yeah, it's happening to us too. The other thing we were asked about is skepticism. So we had talked about for black uh, BIPOC in the industry, for South Asian in the industry, why are they skeptical? And I think this quote essentially sums it up. And it's a point that Chino and Julian have talked about already in the call. A lot of focus was put into it, DEI, in 2020, early 2021. Trainings, ERGs being created, people being hired in DNI positions, reporting being implemented. The truth is, beyond a bunch of junior, mostly to at the most director level, only a couple hires, most have remained, I'm going to change that, the same. And unfortunately, things are perhaps not better. It has become more work on BIPOC people. So Earlier in the conversation, Chino mentioned performance. And I feel that is why there is a lot of skepticism among Black and South Asians. So we didn't sort of pick at that last year, but looking at the open ends this year, that really explains the skepticism um, based on the data that we've collected. Obviously, there are other factors that play into a role, but I think the performance is something we really need to, to think about. So. Everybody did their squares, as you know, Chino and Julia are mentioning, they set up their departments, they brought in their consultants, but there's an expectation now to go, be, go beyond that, right? And especially when it comes to people in those mid to higher levels that we were talking about. So with that, we came through a section where it's like, hmm, that's pretty heavy and can we do anything about it? And the answer is absolutely. So now we get into the section of how POCAM can help, and I'm going to hand it over to Julian. Thanks, Jason. So with the data that was provided and kind of the context, the question that we had put uh, out back to our, our community is, how can POCAM be um, best use as a, as a tool to help, as we had said earlier, to elevate, educate, and advocate? And so with the next slide, what's really come through crystal clear is that advocacy and mentorship remain key priorities for POCAM. We're being told by our community, help us continue to find mentors, find sponsors, so we can move up the corporate ladder because we want to stay within this industry. And also continue to advocate on our behalf. Call out when things are wrong. Highlight when things are, uh, things are good, but also showcase us in our community so we can continue to grow. And I think that's something that quite honestly, uh, if we look back, this is the natural progression of where we were from uh, our birth in April, 2020, when there seemed to be much more of a, of a strident focus on you know, calling out the social injustices. But now that still becomes and maintains a priority, but people are asking, how do I continue to understand networking? How do I continue to do things within the community that help me stay within this industry? Because I have a lot to offer. Uh, and I think Shasan's point earlier was so salient about people who felt this wasn't an industry for them. So they moved to other industries to get that quote unquote experience. 
and then only to come back in the issue with, uh, with executive credentials and not being recognized. So if we move to the next slide, we kind of talk a little bit about this and, you know, what does that mean? Uh, and as with statements, we always try and kind of provide a, a bit of a context. So training for BIPOC and leadership positions, it's really, you know, a need for us to make sure that we are seeing uh, people being promoted and moved up uh, because they're talented, right? Uh, because they deserve to be. And it's not just because it's a, a social experiment on how this works, because we already know uh, individuals uh, on their own, it, it, it is not something that is set up for success. So a pipeline that continues to train and focus on uh, the growth and development of, of BIPOC professionals, executive positions is important. Sharing education about current trends as well. We've had a lot of commentary about you know, salary benchmarks, culture, work expectations. How am I supposed to uh, maneuver in this predominantly white world that I still want to kind of contribute? We've seen that uh, as, as commentary and open ends. We've seen that in our own um, uh, socials and, uh, and LinkedIn pages. So I think this is something that was uh, for POCAM is another area that we're gonna continue to uh, dive deep in to provide that for folks. And then, you know, calling out the BS, right? unfair practices, um, you know, discrimination, microaggressions. These are things that I think a couple of years ago uh, became more, um, shall we say, words that were in vogue for many of us in the industry. Uh, and for many of us, we already knew what those were and felt it, but now a lot of our counterparts were just saying these words for the first time or understanding uh, these words for the first time. And quite honestly, that advocacy uh, is something that's been uh, foisted upon POCAM to continue to push. And we wanna highlight that when things are happening. But quite frankly, as we move through this journey, it's gonna be equally important that we have our allies who are very comfortable in calling this out as well. It's not gonna be enough for many of us just to have quiet conversations to say, I feel your pain, I wanna do something, I don't know what to do, but I wanna do something. It's, it's gonna be more of a, you know, necessary step in being an advocate and an ally of BIPOC professionals to say, we are along with you as a soldier and an ally in eradicating this because the workplace culture is not something that I wanna be a part of anymore. I want to change this. And I think we're seeing that a lot more and more with the folks that quite honestly, who said, I'm more engaged and excited to do this work than ever before, even though it's a burden on me, I still want to be an advocate to leave a, a proper legacy. So. POCAM will continue to move down that path and more to come for us on that. So we'll move into implication recommendations. Uh, Shasan, thank you so much for providing the, the context of where we are uh, from the data. Yeah, you'll see for many of us who were a part of this last year, uh, a lot of similar um, you know, percentages on, on where we feel and where we are today, but there is progress and we don't want people to walk away saying that there isn't progress. I think what we're very proud of saying is people are continuing to get more and more emboldened and entrenched and also realizing that they want to create safe spaces for themselves within this industry. So if we move to the uh, next slide, ties into DEI in the workplace. Implementation and adherence of DEI policies at work remains a priority for BIPOC employees. So what we're hearing from folks is it's been a tough two years. There has been the pandemic. There has been the murder of George Floyd. There has been social injustice. And there has been work to include DEI in everyday workplace culture. And we're not stopping. This needs to continue because this is something that quite honestly, as we look to integrate DEI, it also should 
you know, eventually take the stance of this is how we're getting our workplace culture better. This is how we're becoming much more uniform in identifying how we as the industry wants to lead and be an example for what we do, which quite honestly helps influence people's perceptions of purchasing in front of the camera and behind the camera, in the office and in uh, outside of the office. So DEI in the workplace, for many of us, this again is now a continuation of what we uh, have come out of over the last two years. Next slide. If I can see it, I can be it. There has been an increase in entry-level BIPOC hires as Shasan had alluded to, but there is a lack of mid and senior level BIPOC leaders. And quite frankly, when there is people at the bottom and not a lot of us in the middle or at the top, this is an absolute recipe for people to leave the industry or people to work in parallel outside of the industry. This is not what we want because the industry suffers, not just the individual, the industry suffers. And I think we are saying, we do not want the industry to suffer because there's too much talent that is happening in and around this industry that we need to kind of tap into. And for many of us who are coming in in the first one to five or one to 10 years of their career, there is a need to see the Chassons and the Chinos to say, they're stuck through it, there's a pathway, I wanna to continue to do that because I have a lot to give within the industry. Next slide. Lonely at the top. So when you get there, for many of us uh, who may not be able to uh, see it, there's one or two of us who have reached that mountaintop in predominantly white agencies, or there are even you know, others who own uh, are part of BIPOC run agencies who are at the top. But quite honestly, there is a lack of, uh, of us at the C-suite. And again, what that provides and what that leaves is a sense of there is a ceiling and BIPOC upward mobility is not accepted here. We'll take you at a certain level, but in the C-suite, now we have something that is probably not what we're, uh, we're looking to do. And I think the proof is in the pudding with so few BIPOC leaders who can put CEO of major uh, uh, advertising industries or agencies behind their name. And I think this is something that quite honestly, we wanna continue to push and advocate for because there is a pathway for many of us. Not everyone gets the C-suite job, but I think we feel that there's an opportunity to increase and open that funnel. Next slide. Each one teach one. We've said it throughout the presentation today, and I think it's been said outside of this presentation, mentorship and sponsorship is needed. POCAM will continue to do its part to help develop that. But again, the reason is why is mentorship and sponsorship needed? It's universal for anybody, no matter what your stripe. Nurture career advancing. How does it help me grow as an individual inside and outside the workplace? And I think this is something that we are going to focus on um, as an entity over the next uh, several months. Next slide. Mental health matters. It's our last implication, but probably one of our most important. We are asking employers, we're asking um, associations, we're asking many to continue to invest in supporting the mental health of BIPOC professionals. They are the ones that quite honestly are receiving the brunt of the trauma coming out of the pandemic coming out of the social injustice that uh, has happened, coming out of the racial and, and cultural unrest. It falls, unfortunately, on many of us as individuals to figure out how can I make an impact for my, not only my organization, but for myself to put us down the right path. 
but the tools that I have to do that are limited dollars and lack of people. And this causes unnecessary stress and trauma. We ask those who are on the call who have the ability to make those decisions, when you invest in your DEI policies to change your workplace culture for the better, because we know it, it, it will do that, make sure that you're also understanding what you are putting your lead uh, leaders through, especially if they're BIPOC. And we want to make sure that mental health continues to be something that stands at the forefront for many of us as we transition back into the work environment or move into what could be a hybrid model uh, over the next um, uh, several months. And quite honestly, the other component of this that, that we've addressed uh, a little bit, um, but happy to discuss, is also fatigue from those who are just maybe tired, uh, our, our non-BIPOC friends who are just tired of hearing about race, 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 or cultural discrimination. And we know that that is something that is, that's an underlying system that is impacting many of us as well. So we wanna kind of leave you with those implications and recommendations and ask many of you to continue down that path and uh, working with POCAM uh, to make a, a better difference in the industry. Uh, with that, I would like to thank everybody for attending today's presentation. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure. We will be back again uh, with Visible and Vocal uh, at the end of the year um, in, in field. So look for uh, this study to take place again and then us to present in the early part of Q1 of 2023, but also look out for some of our other upcoming events and initiatives supported by POCAM. So with that, I wanna say thank you very much on behalf of POCAM, on behalf of Shasan and Chino. Thank you for your time and have a great rest of the week. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Marketing News Canada. For more episodes and other great stories from Canadian marketers, visit marketingnewscanada.com. All episodes are recorded in the Jelly Marketing Studio, thanks to our producer, Chris Penner, and editors, Travis Jeffers and The Podfather. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up zero to one grams of net carbs, five to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.